Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 29, produced 30 June 2016. Astral, or astrophotography, is the art of photographing the night sky, and it is a subdiscipline of amateur astronomy that is growing rapidly thanks to the advancements in digital photography. Scotland, with its acres and acres of open land, sparse population, and minimal light pollution, especially in areas like the Highlands and Islands, is prime for astral photography, as we'll learn in a moment when we visit with Scottish astral photographer Stuart McIntyre of BoundByStarlight.com, right here under the starry Tartan Sky. Scotland has been changing the world as we know it for centuries, one innovation at a time. The television, telephone, even the tyres on your automobile are all possible thanks to Scottish ingenuity. And that's just the tease. In 2016, Scotland celebrates the Year of Innovation, Architecture and Design. It's a time to discover unique crafts, textiles and designs, including tartan and Harris tweed. A time to marvel at architecture both old and new, from the Scottish National Gallery in Edinburgh to Glasgow's Clyde Auditorium. A time to wonder at the engineering brilliance of feats like the Fort Bridge or the towering sculptures of the Kelpies. There's more to Scotland than bagpipes, whisky and breathtaking natural beauty. Come and experience the year of innovation, architecture and design 2016. Come and experience Scotland. If you're fascinated by the night sky, there are few places in the world better to visit than Scotland. Acres and acres of open land, sparse population, and minimal light pollution make Scotland an especially vibrant place upon which to gaze into the stars. Indeed, Scotland is home to Galloway Forest Park, one of only three dark sky national parks in all of Europe, designated such by the Dark Sky Association. Here, even if armed with only a pair of binoculars, you can see amazing nighttime sights. Scotland's world-class stargazing, though, isn't limited to the mainland. The Hebridean Isle of Cole became the world's second dark sky island in 2013, the nearest lamppost 32 kilometers away. Scotland even has Europe's first dark sky town in Moffat in Dumfries and Galloway, where they've adopted special streetlights to minimize light pollution. But one Scotsman is not content to just gaze into the heavens. He's intent on capturing the images he sees with his camera in the form of astral photography in order to share an underappreciated part of Scotland's inherent captivating beauty, namely its night sky. Stuart McIntyre is a professional photographer who has, just in the last few years, begun to specialize in astral photography. His work is showcased on his website and Facebook page, Bound by Starlight. He sees Scotland in a way that few others do, through a lens, alone, 
and at two in the morning. I've always been interested in photography. Um, I, I photograph people, you know, it's always, I always think, you know, you, you, you can't just be a photographer. You have to be interested in something and then simply use a camera to record what you were interested in. Um, and it, for me, up until the Astro stuff, it was always people. Um, and uh, I, I did that just as a, as a hobby while I um, worked at university. I've got a PhD and then I had a, a job for a couple of years, uh, you know, sort of designing and selling microscopes. I'm now a full time, I'm lucky enough to be a full time photographer. Mainly it's wedding photography and, you know, portraits and people is what I really, you know, it's what, it's what my day job is literally. The Astro stuff has very much become my sort of passion for it. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, and it was when I was um, quite stressed by my job and everything else. Um, you know, I went out, I think it was the first night was 2013. I just headed out, just wanted to go and uh, escape the place. And I found, you know, the Highlands at night was just stunning and it was gorgeous. Um, and I just had this complete bug from then on in to capture it how I can. So uh, I'm going to back up a second. You, yeah. ha you have a PhD and you're out roaming around taking pictures at night. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Nobody will pay to have a PhD. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Is uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah. Researchers get stuck in little offices down in basements, um, you know, and it's 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 hard work, and it's it's not for me. <laughs> and it's very once you've got a PhD, people don't want to employ you to do anything else because you are a specialist in microscope optics. So, and yeah, photography was always just my escape. Um, I just did photography to, um, to, you know, to escape from the job. Um, and yeah, it just grew and bloomed. And then um, I, I found I could do it full time um, and did it because I'm infinitely happier as a, as a photographer. So, so you're doing wedding and, and other uh, portrait type photography as as a business as your essentially your day job, and the astral yes. photography is something that you're still developing and putting forward. Is that right? Some, yeah, some, something like that. I mean, bound, so Bound by Starlight is my night astro stuff, and Bound by Light, which was a company that came first, is all my uh, you know weddings and people. So, that, so that, that's how it works. And there's two companies. But I mean, yes, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I do workshops and I sell my prints. And uh, I had a picture of Glenn Finn and Viaduct, which is I don't know if you've seen it, that one just kind of went viral and it's uh, had a huge reach. And I think people now, they, they never remember the photographers, but a lot of people have seen that picture of Glenn Finn and Viaduct Under the Stars. I, I guess I haven't seen that one, but I'd love to because I've been on the uh, the Jacobite. I've ridden the train across the viaduct. And uh -huh. uh, so, yeah, I, I will I will certainly look for that because I'm sure that one is gorgeous. I've seen, obviously, the, the items that you have posted on uh, Bound by Starlight, and uh, your work is just stunning. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to get in touch. Um, mm -hmm. it, it is photography, and yet it's, it is an entirely different genre, obviously, of photography, and one we don't see a lot of, though I've seen a bit more of that style of photography as I've developed my, my interest and my passion for Scotland, because Scotland is a great place to go and see the Northern Lights, and, and I do see, yeah. I'm in a couple of photography groups, um, Scottish photography groups on Facebook, and, uh, and so when the Aurora Borealis is uh, flaming the skies as it is, then... <laughs> You do see a number of pictures of uh, of that posted, and some of that work is stunning. Is there something particularly special about Scotland that makes it so ripe for that kind of photography? Yes. Well, I do have to speak about the Northern Lights because I don't have a huge amount of photographs of the Northern Lights. And the reason for that is they can show up very different in the camera to what they are in reality, because the way the cameras work out, and the human eye works, is it's most sensitive to green light, 
So the camera actually gets most of its exposure information, how bright a photograph is, through the green channel. And the northern lights are actually very, very faint. They're absolutely beautiful. They're wonderful. But most nights in Scotland, in fact, almost most nights, you can, with the camera, you can detect some hints of the northern lights, I would say, about one, one in every three or every four nights. So detect some sort of glow if you're sort of far enough north in Scotland. But it doesn't look like how it looks in the camera. So I, 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 um, I, I always want to have a, an artistic but truthful representation of what the night sky looks like. Um, and there have been, uh, I remember it was about the 7th of October, I saw the most stunning storm of the Northern Lights. And it really was a storm because normally you wait for the sun to go down. You're waiting a couple of hours while you get what's called blue hour before you see all the stars and all the glory. Mm-hmm. Um, but this night the, you could see the, these green ribbons were just tearing through the sort of slightly pale blue sky. Um, and that was stunning. And the camera couldn't capture how beautiful that storm was because it sort of simply oversaturated the green channel. Um, but similarly, on other nights, it looks very, um, it's a very muted show, but it's still very beautiful. I don't want to fill people with false hopes. Traveling to see the Northern Lights in Scotland, they'll be really lucky if they see that true neon green that is shown so often in all the Facebook groups. That's why everybody hands, hands out with their cameras. Because there's one thing I noticed you did say, you've got, you, you're, we'll talk about beginners with cameras, but I do say is go out and enjoy the moment, go and enjoy it rather than trying to take photos of it. But everybody goes out to take photos of the Northern Lights because it's actually one of the few things where the Northern Lights is actually more rewarding to photograph than it is to see in real life. That's interesting. I would never have thought that. So the images we're seeing that are captured by the camera are not necessarily the image that we would have seen were we standing there personally. Yes, yes, because uh, yes, because of the the color representation. Um, but but yes, I mean you can certainly see storms. You know that is very difficult. You know that look more beautiful than it did in the camera. But most of the time, it's kind of the other way around. Where it's just because the human eye, I suppose, is dark, so you don't perceive color when you're out there. But a camera will always perceive color. Well, we will probably just more see uh, blacks and greys. But you can see these sort of grey curtains moving in and out, and the and they still see it all dancing around. Um, it's very beautiful. You have to, but you have to look for it and know it's there. Because if you were driving through the night, you might just imagine it was, uh, the, you know, light pollution from the village over the hill, uh, rather than the northern lights. So a lot of people may well have seen the northern lights, but not realise they have seen them. Wow, that that's interesting because I've been twice to Scotland and never saw them, but I, I never felt like I was far enough north when I was on the the Isle of Skye. I think I was just there wrong time of year. I was there April May, so I was told. No, I needed yeah, to be you know, it's it very bright. So you, yeah, you would be, able, yeah, uh, in April. You know, if there's if the if the moon. The other thing is you want the moon to be nice and dark. So if you've got a full moon, it's more light for the show to compete against. Right. I have to think that the fact that there is so much open land and a limit a limited amount of light pollution as you touched on a moment ago uh, that has to make scotland special for doing astral photography photography yeah. of the night sky as you're as you're talking about because you don't have to deal with so much light pollution from the cities and you don't have to travel that far to get outside of that light pollution no 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 in general no um i mean it's, it's always you're trying to get away from everybody else if you know what i mean uh because yes it's you just have to I, i'm actually based in glasgow so you have to drive for about an hour at least to to escape glasgow's light pollution just because there's a lot of villages and things surrounding sure uh glasgow but yeah i mean this isle of sky 
Glencoe, Kilharn Castle, all these very beautiful, iconic landmarks. Um, Eilandon Castle is always a very famous tourist spot. They turn off their floodlighting, I think, at midnight. So after midnight, you can you can enjoy, you know, seeing some of the famous Scotland landmarks under the skies. Um, and it's Milky Way for me is it's just truly breathtaking and, and it's amazing because I think maybe what people don't realise is my photographs are extremely wide and encompass a lot of the night sky and you see a lot of details from the night sky. Um, um, you know, and that's what it is. It's just, you just, you know, you turn your head to, to view it and it just, it just keeps going on. It's infinite. Let's talk about this a little bit then from, uh, from the photography standpoint. Is astral photography, the photography of the night sky that we're, we're talking about? We can always go back and talk about your wedding photography some other time. But, but there, are a lot of, there are, frankly, a lot of folks who do wedding photography. There are not a lot of people, I think, who do what you do. No. Is it something that a beginning photographer can go out and capture and enjoy? Or is it a specialty that really requires a great deal of experimentation, study, knowledge, and work? Um, I think um, once somebody's mastered the sort of basics of the camera, um, you can shoot astrophotography. I mean, really, because it's dark, the camera just doesn't have a clue what, what it's trying to shoot. So, um, you know, you'd struggle if you were just to you know, buy a camera out of, uh, of a, a camera store and not know anything about it and go out into the night sky. But once you've shot, I don't know, it depends on people's learning rates, but once they're comfortable with aperture and shutter speed and ISO... Um, you need to give work manual focus and you need to use um, a manual, what's called white balance. So, uh, you know, you shouldn't tell the white balance. Um, and once you can tell the camera those things, you're, you're good to go. Um, and I think a lot of the times, yeah, uh, it's, and then it's just your creative eye. Once you can understand that, and it's a lot, it's a lot of playing around to, to, get, uh, to get the results you want. Because, again, it, it's always, you know, it's a fun part of being an artist and using a camera is uh, once, you, once you understand the settings... You, you shoot the way you want to to make to make the images your own. I guess where I'm going with this too is, is that there are a lot of now top quality what I call point and shoot automatic cameras, uh, uh, but you can get them in, in very high megapixels and and, and they do they have uh, all the manual settings, but a lot of people never take the time to learn that. They basically shoot in auto mode, and, and I'm gathering that the type of photography we're talking about that you do, it's not something where you can take even a high end automatic um, point and shoot type camera digital camera and walk out and put it on a tripod and, and shoot and get the kind of results that we see that you produce yes i think most point and shoot cameras um i don't know i, I don't come across many of them that has have a way to take the autofocus off and then manually set the focus point so i think that would definitely be where a lot of cheaper cameras would have a real problem um and again flight balance it tends to be it tends to be cameras aimed at more uh, advanced users that will shoot in Kelvin, which just means you can really fine tune how the colors appear in, in your photographs. You can do it afterwards again, you know, in, in, in Photoshop as well, if, if people wished. Um, but I think that's where. But any basic DSLR would have the principles, and and I think there's a lot of um, mirrorless designs, and I'm sure there'll be some compact point and shoots that will have the facilities to uh, to do at least do the, the fundamentals of astrophotography. I think my cameras, I mean, the, the one I've used is a, a 1,400 pound lens and a five grand camera. And it's really, you know, I, I go with the top of the range camera so that I have as less noise, so how the images are grainy. Um, I, that's that's really um, the difference between myself, what I, you know, I, why I buy the, the, the high-end cameras. But I reckon if 
people are happy with a camera around 3200 ISO, they're, they're going to be happy to do it with uh, for astrophotography. Well, let's talk about Scottish weather. Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously, <laughs> your pictures depict a beautiful night sky, and, and we will have some of your photos on our website on the, the in the show notes for this episode. But your yep. pictures capture brilliantly lit uh, skies, wow. lit by starlight, the Milky Way, etc. Um, so obviously, most of the time, I, I saw a couple of examples where you where you actually touched on the addition of of some high clouds uh, to the photo. But basically, yeah. they show these beautiful, clear night skies. Yeah. Scotland's weather is not known, though I debunk this all the time. It, it's not known or perceived to be uh, the kind of weather there, where there's a lot of great, you know, nice, yeah. clear nights. Um, yeah. Do you have to do a lot of advanced planning to find a, a good night to go out and shoot, or can you just jump in your Land Rover and take off? Yeah, well, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's partly, um, there's long-term planning. So I have, uh, you know, like, I really want to go and shoot the Old Man Star at um, the Isle of Skye, and I want to shoot at Nest Point on the Isle of Skye, and I have to wait for certain times of year, and then at, in turn times of night, at those times of the year, that the Milky Way or the constellations will be in the orientation that I want for the for perceived photograph in my shot, in my head. So I know... Really, I, and I quite often write in the calendar, you know, I'll have a window of about five days where I'll have, you know, that's what, you know, astronomically speaking, I'll have the photograph that I want. And on top of that, I've then got to have a clear window in that area that I want um, for those sort of five days. And it is immensely frustrating <laughs> trying to get everything to line up. Um, there's only really one, only the Met Office here will try and accurately predict cloud movements only 36 hours in advance. And as they often do point out, because it's, um, it's based on infrared imaging of satellites, and when the sun goes away, those satellites don't, can't see the clouds anymore, so they're just guessing in the dark based on the wind speed of where the clouds are going to be. <laughs> so a lot of the times I'll go and they'll see my little tiny, tiny windows where I want it, but then, you know, I'll, uh, I'll drive there, you know, you spend like three, four hours driving, you're always at a phone signal, and of course it's cloudy, but you kind of know that probably this clear patch is somewhere, you know, it's just not exactly where you planned it. So you can spend a lot of the times you know, kind of standing on the roof of when I had Land Rover, standing on the roof of the Land Rover, just seeing if I could see a clear window off in the horizon and then trying to drive towards it. And then, you know, so some, some, sometimes it was, you know, beautifully planned Mastercraft and other times it was, you know, frustratedly driving around just trying to find that clear window and then, you know, working with whatever elements of, uh, of Scotland to, to bring into it to get the photograph. Clearly, weather plays a role in, in what mm-hmm. you what you do. So it sounds to me, though, that to do what you do, to be a successful astral photographer, you've really got to have a knowledge of a lot of different subjects. You've obviously got to be somewhat knowledgeable about weather uh, or at mm-hmm. least know where to go and find that, that information. You've yeah. got to obviously have knowledge of the night sky to compose the photograph, as you say, knowing where the Milky Way will be visible, uh, what parts of the country at what time of year, et cetera. Um, yeah. Is that something that took a lot of study on your part, or is it something that you've just learned? Yes, I mean, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's great. I say you want to know about weather, go to the Met Office. Um, you, you know, you'll see their little picture. You, you know, you click on it, and then you know, I think they have cloud predictions. So, you know, that's more or less weather sorted. Um, you know, uh, and then you've got all these sort of things. So, Stellarium is a good free 
uh, software program that people can download. So if you want to learn about the night sky and how it's going to rotate and what parts are going to be visible, Stellarium is a, a very good and free resource for people to to learn about the night sky. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, it's just about getting maps out. Where do you want to go? Um, and then again, it's just trying to um, maps of light pollution as well. I mean, light pollution is the biggest biggest crux for me. I mean, I remember. I went out, I think I've got one picture out on Facebook, but I, I, I was going to take an amazing picture of Castle Stalker, but there appears just to be a big quarry or something behind Castle Stalker that just keeps lights on all the time. So it's just it's just impossible to take truly good pictures of, of uh, Castle Stalker in the dark, which is a great shame. And some, some light pollution you can't get away from or you can't control. I, I know I was reading your comments about one of your photos that the one that you posted worked out, but you mentioned that you had to take a number of exposures um, because so many of them were polluted with a, a car driving by on a, on a nearby uh, motorway. Yes. Uh, the, I suppose it's amazing. You get this beautiful, um, you know, you, you feel like, I feel like Scotland's, I've got it to myself when I drive up in the night. You know, I'm always driving up the 83, the rest of the thankful valley, and it's just me, and I love it. And uh, you know, and you can, you know, I, I tracked up. I, mean, I tend to not go north of Fort William. I did, I did the Glen, I did Glasgow to Glen Finnan and back in one night once, and I felt I was pushing myself too hard and I was probably going to have a car accident. So I've kind of said that I don't go north of uh, Fort William uh, because it's just too much driving in one night but you you just feel that you can just keep going and going and going but uh that the glencoe valley because there's all these lorries that deliver foods and uh all the supplies to people in the highlands so it's it's amazing you just come across some of the a roads and they, they just uh, you just get these uh, lorries just driving through the night constantly it's kind of uh, it's kind of amazing uh but then you can just go off a few more roads and it's just beautiful and peaceful and a lot of deer in the road i suppose that's a cost if anybody wants to do this uh, be aware that when it's cold the deer like to come onto the road because it's warmer for some reason. So uh, you, you've got to keep your speed down um, if, if people are planning to, to do what I do. And don't climb hills at night. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. And that's I another... Do it, but don't, please don't do it because I do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do as I do. Do as I say. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's another thing that's interesting that I think is amazing about Scotland that makes it perhaps more suitable than other locations, certainly than here in the United States, for doing this kind of photography. Because in the States, in Scotland, and I don't know all the logistics, the legalities of it, but most land in Scotland is not fenced in. In the United States, even out in, in the western states where we have the wide open desert, the high desert area, if you're driving down the highway, down a motorway, you get a few feet off the road and there's a barbed wire fence because all that land beyond there is privately owned and you can't get access to it. And so to do the type of photography you do, you'd be limited to shooting basically from the side of the road. But in general, when you go out into areas like I know, yeah. like Glencoe and those areas uh, around Glenfinnan, you have basically free roaming access so that you can get anywhere you need to be to get away from the light pollution and, and to get the right elements to compose the frame that you want to see yes and i think i think it's the nice thing about the concept scotland is land landowners you know um you know because i actually grew up on a farm we were actually proud of the fact that you know people are free to come and go as they please you know i mean you know you can you can wild camp as long as you know as long as you leave everything as you absolutely found it you can you can walk around and you can pitch a tent you know uh you know you don't don't light a fire you know but it's just it's if you leave scotland as you found it you can go anywhere you want in it not you know that's where the land reward is a bit more tricky because you need permission to drive in somebody's land um but uh, yeah it's, it's it's great that you know 
you know, you, you go and you chat to people, you're, you know, on the land, you know, if you're being nice and social and they'll be nice and social back, it's, uh, it's great. And most of the time you're walking across, a lot of it is public property, I suppose, but there are times when you're, especially in the hills and out hill walking, when you're, you know, you're on someone's private property and yet the access is so much freer in Scotland than it is here in the States. In the States, you would be met by, you know, you wouldn't go far before you'd be met by a fence or a locked gate. And at yeah. two, three o'clock in the morning, if you're out doing astrophotography, the landowner may, one, be miles away, and two, is not going to be excited if you knock on his door and ask for permission to, to, to <laughs> really, really unlock his gate and let you in. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a difference in the concept I've found about land ownership, et cetera, in Scotland that I find very amazing. Yeah. I think you have to be, I mean, um, I'm quite discreet when you're out because uh, people's imagination can get quite wild when you, you know, um, I tend to prefer... Depend. I mean, it sounds a bit wrong, but you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to leave people undisturbed. If you know what I mean, sure. uh, just, just you know, because I mean, yeah, you don't, you know, what are people doing? I mean, I remember I've, I've, I've only been stopped by the the police three times in Argyle, and it's always been the same guy. I like to think that Argyle only needs one policeman, <laughs> um, but I'm sure I'm sure it's not the case. But yeah, I mean, you know, because like you know, what are you doing at two in the morning with a camera and a at the end of the pier? You know, I, I do understand it's not the. Uh, the most um, obvious thing to be doing, um, but yes, uh, it's 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 good. Yeah, but at, at least you're not, you know, at two in the morning with a camera uh, shooting pictures into the bank. I mean, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you take us through a typical outing? Uh, from yeah. you jump in the Land Rover and off you go. Can you take us to that until maybe the time you get yes. your shot and, and, and head home? Yes, well, I think, uh, I mean, I, I suppose I, I have to confess, actually, I, I've sold the Land Rover. Cause, oh, um, no. I, I, did, I know. I just did it as a, a way to, to make a sort of, make it more engaging. Um, but I felt it was because it was getting me 15 miles to the gallon and I only had a top speed about 50 miles an hour was actually a bit more of a hindrance than a help. Um, and I didn't actually feel <laughs> that many people were engaged with it. Um, so anyway, but I jump in the car um, and, and normally... I do it all in one night. So normally it's just a case that um, I know where all the light pollution is um, and I tend to sort of drive for about an hour out of Glasgow. The 83 Rest and Be Thankful Valley is an excellent starting place for uh, for, for doing um, land, this sort of work. So if anybody wants to try it, it's relatively accessible. Um, and, you know, if you'll see, I've got a lot of my work done um, around that valley. But anyway, yeah, uh, so... But I always want to try and shoot something new. So I always have usually just one image in my head. So I want to be at a certain point, you know, at roughly within a sort of time window because you always get the Earth rotating around slowly. So the Milky Way and all the other stars sort of just slowly, you know, well, they travel through the night. So it's a case that you want to sort of meet them so you get your composition right at the certain time. And I always sort of look for sort of strong elements, castles and the mountains and, and things that sort of rise up out of the ground um, so that I can get a lot of sky in with the, with, with some good landscape. Um, you know, very difficult for me to shoot water, rivers and waterfalls because you have to kind of shoot down the way to, to do that. And yeah, it's, it's all, you need a tripod. So um, I, I take a lot of risks, I should say. Um, I, I don't have proper safety equipment either. I always think it should take us satellite page or something if I come unstuck I don't actually have a proper plan for when I do because I, I, um, I've got pictures of Kilhun Castle and what I've done is I've put on waders and I waded out into the loch and then shot back in the castle with the Milky Way framing the castle 
Um, and I was waist deep in water um, at, you know, whatever it was, about one in the morning to, to get that shot. You know, it's very cold. Um, you get cold quite quickly because, uh, you know, you're in there for about half an hour as you're sort of getting all the exposures you need. Um, and then always a sort of frustrating thing for me is uh, I have to leave when I feel still quite fresh because you're always fighting the tire. And I remember when I was in the Land Rover, the first night out, I was uh, at Ranach Moor, and it was, it was minus six, and I, I learned I was going to suffer in that thing, because uh, all the insulation I put in it really hadn't worked. Um, and I came out, and I was freezing after sleeping there, like, properly. And uh, there's a great there's a, there's a great uh, food stop called the Green Welly at Tindrum. Yes, For me, it's yes. always the mark of the Highlands. You get a black pudding at the Green Welly. Yeah, it's I've brilliant. Been, yeah, been there and done that. Yeah, wonderful yeah. place. Um, you know, so I was like, three miles down the road from that place and I was like oh it's just so cold and I was suffering I can't remember maybe about five in the morning I woke up so I was like I was really tempted to you know fire down the road and get to the green Valley, have you know some place that had heating and, and then have a hot breakfast but I could see you know Venus and um, all the other planets converging just just before the sun was rising um, and just this energy comes over me I can fight the cold in fact the fight the cold didn't even bother me just because I knew that I was getting the images that I wanted and I had this sort of I, I, I describe it as a moronic dedication to, to stay out there and suffer to, to get the photographs um, and, and it is that, that that sort of I have this sort of yeah this single mindedness to plod on and get the photographs because um, you know I, I mean I'll, I'll wade rivers just to get the right perspective nothing annoys me more than when I, I'm looking at my screen and I've got, you know, it's just a bit jaunty where, you know, the, the composition hasn't worked um, and I won't allow that to happen. I'll always go to, you know, stand and stand whatever I need to to get the strongest composition. In a case like that, though, as you said, you finally realized you were seeing the images and getting those exposures. Do you get a bit of an adrenaline rush like any athlete does when they know they're performing at top level? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose it, I'm not sure if it's adrenaline or it's just uh, it's, it's my determination to fight off the sleep and fight off the cold to stay out. Um, there's one where I've got a picture of uh, the Lovejoy Comet. That, and that was, you know, I, I reckon, well, I went back because it was with the wind chill. It was down about minus 14, you know, um, and that, that, you know, that was that was the night where my body packed in. It's just like I cannot physically stay out here any longer. But I was desperate to because I'd, uh, I just I was so happy with what I was getting. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's and it's always that one where I've got to be aware of my safety because, you know, otherwise they're just going to somebody's going to find my body in the camera clicking away in the hillside a couple of days later. I've got to, you know, I've got to look after myself. Um, and uh, it's it's always you get always sitting there in the middle of the night though going oh this is really risky it shouldn't and it's like yeah well i've already driven out here for three hours and climbed this hill for half an hour so <laughs> i'm not gonna let the last 20 meters stop me um yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, i'm always worried when you're gonna come and stop with that <laughs> and trudging around in the dark out there i mean there has to be you know a certain amount of danger of, of what even just a, a twisted ankle or something yes um, yes I think there's um, there are other one which a lot of people don't know because um, I think a lot of people think oh you know I, I went out there and I didn't see the night sky like that but you have to let your eyes adapt to dark so I, I suppose I won't look at my camera screen or my phone screen because as soon as you don't do that um, you've lost your night vision um, and at the same time I don't well I carry regular torches and very bright regular torches if anything goes wrong but I actually work under a red torch because when you're working with red light your eye you're, you don't lose your night vision so that's always when you know in the World War II submarine films when they right. got the submarine red that's so that you they could 
you know, they just all be dark adapted. Um, and that's where, yeah, I, I always work under red light. And that's where I, I, you know, I'll stand by and say, you know, I'll see, you know, I, I present the photographs as they've been seen. I just bring out the colors and the contrast a little bit more. Um, but, but, you know, it's, 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 I never want my photographs to be sort of dishonest to what the night sky is. I will never, you know, paint in one of my best night sky images, you know, my Milky Way exposures into another image. With Photoshop, unfortunately, you see more and more of that. You know, you take a picture of, for example, one of my favorite pictures that I took is of Black Rock Cottage uh, up at Glencoe. And, yeah. and you see, you know, you'll see software programs that say, you know, well, you have this picture, you don't like the sky in it, well, just drop in another sky from another image that you like. And suddenly yeah. the cottage sitting there in just a gray, cloudy day, a typical day in Scotland, and suddenly it, there's a night sky in the background or there's partly cloudy blue sky that now the image isn't real. The image is, is as we as everybody now says, it's Photoshop. I think also, in, you know, with Black, uh, Black Rock Cottage, I mean, it's always the best is when you've got Bucolette of Moor and you've just got those nonchalant clouds just hanging beneath yeah. the cliff. That's, you know, that's when Glencoe looks just truly awesome, is actually when you've got some low-level cloud that's going through the valley, and you realize that gives you a sense of scale and just how awesomely gorgeous that place is. Um, so, yeah, so I think that, that's the thing, you know, that's where, you know, these sort of images that will create, they'll, 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 they'll never work. I did see one picture of Don Castle that had the southern hemisphere photoshopped into it. Really? Yes. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oops. <laughs> Is there a way, not to get off into Photoshop, but when, when someone sees those kinds of images on Facebook, is there a way to know if it's a real image or not, if it's been Photoshopped or not? Um, I think it's, well, it's just if, uh, for me, because, you know, I, I'll roughly know what time it was taken. I'll certainly know the time of year it was taken when I see somebody else's image. It's an astrophotography picture. Um, but again, it's, it's also in the skill because, uh, you know, more and what, more of what I'm doing now is, um, I'll take a picture of the night sky, um, uh, you know, which will maybe be, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, depending on my focal length and what sort of, um, how much I, I hate star trailing. I never do. I always think it like, it looks like you're drunk when you see all the stars spinning like that. I, I, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, Anybody else can do it. I mean, that's always a part of being artist. If other people like it, that's great. Um, but now I'm taking pictures because the ground doesn't move. So I'm taking pictures that are maybe like three, five minutes long um, just so that I've got more detail in the image of the ground. And then I, I use Photoshop to combine the two of them. So, um, I mean, I, I, I would be horrified if anybody ever did see a digital artifact in my images. But, you know, I mean, I, I know... You know, it's uh, you know I'm, I'm using the same process as the people that are building composites. Um, you know, it's just that I'm just using you know basically the, the camera's tripod. It's one sitting from the tripod, and I'm just m m merging multiple exposures. Um, right, but it's not a case of taking um, again to use Black Rock Cottage as an example, taking a picture of that and then going and putting into it a sky that you shot, uh, say, at um, Glenfinnan or at Ellendonan or, no, or whatever. No, I just don't want to do that because once I've done that, once I've discredited myself, and I want you know, I I want. I mean, these they're still photographs. They're still sort of recordings. Of what the night was like. Because I think my most recent picture I, I posted it's one I've sat on for a while. So I probably took it back in January because. Uh, it was just slightly too cloudy. It was just this sort of thin cloud. Um, but then I sort of realized, well, it's it's, just, it's 
again, it's just a different feeling from the night where um, the bright, because of the, the low cloud, the bright stars have actually become quite big and smudgy. But, um, you know, because those are actually the, the, usually the stars that make up the constellations. So I think in, in a way it, does, it just gives it a different feeling. And it's a very, you know, might, people might say, oh, that's maybe not the style of photograph that I've normally done because it's not the conditions that I normally accept. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not beautiful just in its own way, just because it has different properties. For someone who wants to explore astral photography, uh, I noticed on your website that you offer workshops on, on many levels, from simply consulting on someone's already taken images to literally having them join you or you joining them and going out on an, on an adventure to capture and take photographs at night. Tell me a little about that. Yes. Um, I, I would say for, for some people that have actually, you know, who have gone out and done it a few times, actually you can get a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of information to offer just simply by going through the processing and maybe just talking about how to get lower noise images or slightly sharper images, just, um, you know, without actually having to go out into the night the night sky. I mean, it's always that's the adventure. That's the exciting one to do is to go out. Um, but it's, it's, it's a way that usually how I work that is sort of reserve three days in the calendar and then very close to that time scale, we'll look at where the best where the best location is going to be and where, you know, where there's not going to be any cloud. But, I mean, as much as we say we can get good weather, it's uh, three days in a row of cloud in Scotland is, is very possible. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's always the way, you know, you've got to wait for the conditions. And I think that's it. Is, I mean, this is, I've been doing this since about 2013. So you're looking at accumulation of a lot of photographs over the years. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, and, and it's just, I've learned, you've just got to get that one, you know, you go out into the night sky and just focus on getting one, one amazing stunning image. Maybe even just, you know, quite often I'll sit there, you know, I suppose, well, it's Glenn Finn and I went around and did the monument. But it's just, you know, one, just one subject for that night and just walk around it into as many different angles and compositions as you can. Um, and, and keep it simple rather than sort of chasing around doing lots of different photographs in the night, um, you know, because you'll always come back and think, oh, that one was good, but I wish I'd just done something different. So it's, I think it's always a way of, you know, advise people. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a massive detour from what we were initially talking about, but it is always a way of, uh, you know, look very, be very, I suppose it's teaching people to be very critical of composition because, you know, quite often you'll find, you know, you're, you, oh, you've got all the elements in the right place, beautiful sky, you know, a nice vibrant Milky Way or there's constellations you're interested in, the moon's not that bright and you've got this crystal clear night, probably won't happen again you know, for another, for months and sometimes a year then because, it, you know, the, the night sky looks very different depending on what time of the year you visit. Scotland has um, at least a couple and maybe more uh, areas that are that are designated as dark sky areas, areas mm -hmm. that are, are keen to where you can go and, and have a wonderful view of the night sky, get away from uh, the light pollution. And if I recall, one is not too far south, I believe, of Glasgow. You have talked about the idea that astral photography in Scotland could be a new source of tourism for the country to bring people to Scotland and, and into Scotland, I guess, from other parts of the UK. Tell me a little bit about that. How, how would you, how do, how do you see that developing? Uh, how would astral photography and tourism begin to marry? I think, I'm thinking, I'm wondering when you're talking about astral photography, um, versus just the experience of of seeing the dark sky 
you know, um, or even just having a telescope and doing some deep sky, you know, imaging Saturn with the rings or some beautiful nebula, nebulas as well. Um, it's just a fantastic experience to do it yourself, is to go out and, and, and see it. And, uh, you know, the great thing about Scotland is, you know, you, you look after your own safety, but you can go where you want. You know, if you if you see, you know, you can walk down the road as much as you want. You never, you know, you're never going to be in somebody else's land and be in the wrong about it, um, you know, if you're walking. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's a unique thing about Scotland um, is you can enjoy the night sky um, in a way that maybe you're not planning. I mean, we have... I mean, you know, technically rutting a stag in August uh, in October, but they all stay well clear of you too. I mean, you're never going to find any, um, you know, wild and dangerous hedgehogs. The midges are asleep <laughs> at the night. That's always a great thing. Midges are yeah, asleep at night. Yeah, no midges. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I suppose your imagination can get the better of you. You, you hear something moving, it's mostly going to be a sheep or a deer, you know, owls. You know, it's it, it, so it's it's a it's a brilliant, safe environment to go and uh, and 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 see the stars. Um, and it's just it's just beautiful. Obviously, the Northern Lights. I would say, I mean, I have talked about. It, I would say about three, roughly about three. You get three amazing storms a year, but if you do want to go and photograph the Northern Lights. You're probably gonna if you if you had clear nights every night and you went out, you know, between sort of um, August October to to you know um, early April, and you went out every night and by chance you got the north sky every clear, you, I reckon you would get some hint of the northern lights, um, you know, from from Fort William and North, um, I, I, you would see something. Uh, you just have to have a keen eye uh, to see a weak storm, but they're always there. But is it possible? Do you think to to see? Uh, some sort of formal tourism uh, come about? I mean, can, can you imagine, for example, yourself leading to, uh, a group of tourists out um, over an I'd evening or two? I'd be happy to do it. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just the, you always have to be aware that if the weather is bad, the weather is bad, you know, it's, um, which, but see, I, I don't think Scotland actually has any unique, you know, it's, it's, it's just as rainy or as wet or as sunny as any, as, as any other place, really. But, uh, you know, it's... Um, it just depends on the on the time of years. I mean, I have you know I have had people they want to boot me. I mean, you have to remember, you know, from you know May through to August, it's just too bright in Scotland to you know it, it never gets dark to see the stars um, right. as 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 uh, in any great number. Um, and again, when you've got a full moon, um, I mean, it's a blessing to curse because you get the full moon, you get great, you can see quite a lot of detail on the ground from the, the moon. But you see less stars because of the brightness from the moon. So, and I think that's always the way. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I can go out one day and then go visit the same location three days later, and it'll look totally different. It doesn't look better or worse; it just looks different. Uh, I would, I would say to anybody, yeah, come and come and see it and enjoy it because it's it's just glorious. Is there a particular experience or a particular image that you've captured that really stands out? That we, that was maybe you got it, maybe something in the image surprised you, or getting the image surprised you, or yes. that that one really unique moment that you've experienced so far. Yes, well, I think it, it's always um, it's always a case about um, uh, you know I'm always in a continuous thing. I'm looking to improve, always to take better images. Um, and the, yeah, there's one of Glencoe. And it's got Bucolette of Moor dead in the centre. And this is uh, a big panorama. It's actually 13 images that have uh, 13 separate images from um, going from about south, facing all the way almost to north. I mean, it's not. It's about, I think it's about 130 degrees. 
And it's just this vast image that captures uh, Glen Etive, you know, where the James Bond film was filmed, mm -hmm. and Glencoe, and then Bouclet and Moore rising up of it. But it's dwarfed entirely by the arch of the Milky Way that goes around the, the, the top of the image, and it's in the snow. Um, so again, all the ground is white with, with, the, you know, with the plants coming up, and it looks black. But right in the middle, just underneath uh, Bouglet of Moore, is a single man in the moor. Um, and it's just one of these things. It's once you spot him, because he's not immediately obvious, and then you get the picture of the mountain, you get the sense of scale for the mountain, which is dwarfing the man, and then in turn, the Milky Way is dwarfing the mountain. Um, and, and that, for me, I mean, it's, it's just an accumulation of a technical scale. It's, it's got over 100 megapixels from the way that I've merged all these images together. So it's definitely like the, the highest quality print image I can offer. It's, it's just captured so much of the essence of Scotland, you know, with, with the snow all over the mountain and in the glen. Um, and then they say this one other uh, astronomer who was, who's out enjoying the night um, and it's got the, the Milky Way over it. Um, I think because uh, it's been a bad year for Glen, uh, Glencoe hadn't snowed that much over the winter um, and then it finally snowed there, there's a ski centre and they were working like crazy through the night trying to get as much snow onto their uh, mountains as you can so you get this uh, orange glow off to the very extreme left hand side so there's a lot going on in the image even though it has this beautiful still feeling to it My thanks as always to my guest Stuart McIntyre of BoundbyStarlight.com You'll find stunning examples of his work, as well as links to his website and Facebook page, in our show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot. There you'll also find other helpful links if you're interested in exploring astrophotography a bit further. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Topolev, Agus Gabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.